You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also have intern Sting on the show with us today. Call in at 334-321-1390. That'll get you through to On The Line. we got a packed show for you guys today. You can also find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Airing on Facebook as well at the various Facebook pages, ESPN 106.7, Radio Alabama Sports, and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show lined up for you guys today. Just a look at the lineup. We're going to talk about make-or-break factors for Auburn football in 2021. We'll continue through our one question for each SEC Eastern Division team, we saved the best for last. Georgia and Florida will be the two teams that we talk about today. If you missed yesterday's show wondering what we're talking about, about this one question for each SEC East team, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll also at 2.30 coming up get some draft analysis from Christian Page of CoverOne.net, good friend of mine that covers the NFL draft for cover1.net he'll be coming up at 2:30 on today's show it's draft week and we are only a day away and he eats it up so I'm looking forward to getting some great football talk from Christian Page coming up at 2:30 and that just covers half of hour number 1 we got a great show for you guys lined up today Levi Sting how you guys doing today I'm doing well. I'm excited. You know how I feel about the draft. It's coming up. We've got a lot going on to cover. I'm, I've got questions. I've got a lot of questions for Christian Page. I'm excited for what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't look now. Kansas City Royals, still the best team in baseball with the best record, but unfortunately, the NC Dinos, one game below 500, but two and a half games out of first place in the Korean baseball organization. That might be the smallest logo on a hat I've ever seen. Oh yeah, the smallest little Kansas City Royals hat that I have. If anybody, that they probably tiny. can't even they probably can't even see it on the Facebook live stream across there. Actually, that is the minimalist hat. It was like I I remember getting this. I think I got it at I was like at the Columbus Mall, I think, and I picked it up and looked at it. And one of the employees were like, "Yeah, that's like three dollars." I said, "What?" I said, "Okay, cool." All you're doing is paying for the logo. Instant. Yeah. That's yeah. how small it is. The hat, $0. The logo, 3 bucks. Hey, it works. It's comfy, and I get to show show some support on my uh Well, y'all been seeing those memes, right, where they where they put, like, a, a lines showing, like, how much of something is. You know what oh, I'm yeah, talking yes. about? Yes. Like, $1 of your hat price is the hat. The other $2 is the Kansas City logo. And it's the tiny little logo. The tiny Kansas City logo. So I would... And I lost. Like this is one of the few things I have because I did lose one of my shirts when I had my car. Accident. Did that have a small logo as well? No, it was nice. It was just a nice dry fit Nike Kansas City shirt that I actually got when me and Jacob Hillman How were in Kansas City. How did you become a Kansas City Royals fan? Because you went to Kansas City, Bo Jackson. That's a good answer. That that's is a good, a good answer. That's answer. That, that's a better that's answer a than I was answer. thinking. I grew up and I was like, oh, Bo Jackson played there. That'll be my team. And yeah, I didn't realize how terrible. Is it a lot like me and the Sabers? I didn't realize how bad they were at the time. But you know. 
we got a World Series more recently than a than a certain team from around here, and uh, we're the best team in baseball right now. So World say, Series is going to happen. Was that after the World Series win or before it? No, it was way before. Was like way I grew, before. yeah, I grew up. I grew up liking the Royals. It okay. was just I knew that we were bad. It was one of those things where I walked into it as a kid, didn't realize it. I mean. Same thing with the Buffalo Sabres. But you stuck with it instead yeah. of bailing. Yeah, a lot like you know Noah with his Browns. You walk in, and you're just like, look, got my work cut out for me. Some this point is going to be tough. Some point it chooses you, right? You fall in love yes. with it, and you yeah. just. But it for happens. me, the Browns and what I always told people was, look, I don't really like the Falcons. I don't have an allegiance to anything locally in terms of professional sports, other than maybe the Braves to a degree. But why not root for something that you can believe in? Why not root for something that one day when it cashes in, it's going to be special? And, you know and that's the good. Cleveland Browns because it's been dark times. I was there for the dark times. I was there for the 1-31 stretch. And I knew when I had watched the Cleveland go 0-16, like, man, it's going to be special when I see this team win just a football game. It's going to be special. And guess what? Victory fridges were opened that and, night. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that – I mean, and you think I mean, about that's it, special. It's, I think, uh, and they made the playoffs special year, oh, yeah. man. Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I was close to tears throughout this past football season it, for good and bad reasons. But it makes you, it makes you more appreciative when you go through those bad times. I think Scott Van Pelt said it on ESPN one night where he was talking about when Maryland won the basketball, like the national championship in basketball. He's like, "Look, we're not going to win multiple, but I got to see one in my lifetime. Like, we're not Duke, we're not North Carolina, we're not Kansas, but when you win that one." It's special, like and it feel, and especially when you were along for the ride through some, through some pretty dark times. It just it catches in, and I'm hoping that happens for the Buffalo Sabers in the NHL one day. But uh, it, it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. Well, they might get out of last place. I mean, the Devils are pretty close to them, right? Yeah, I mean, luckily, <laughs> luckily the the kitties are purring down there in Miami, so I can at least cheer for the Florida Panthers. Stink, how are you doing today, my man? I'm also doing great. I mean, for different reasons in Levi, but you know, hey, the Astros are now above 500. We're 12 and 11. <laughs> uh, Christian Javier threw uh, seven innings last night, struck out six, I think, allowed two hits, had a really good night. So that's this might be a good segment one day to do to say, you know, introducing everybody into the show, say, how are you doing today? Why is today a good day in the sports world, or why is today a bad day in the sports world for you? Yeah, I think yeah, that would like be pretty that. good. I like that. I think that would be pretty good. Have you guys seen the thing circulating around on Twitter right now with Jeff Perlman, at Jeff Perlman on Twitter, going not. around, walking around Auburn. This is his tweet. Walking around Auburn asking students whether they know who at Bo Jackson oh, is. Yeah. Not a single no yet. Hard to think of another athlete who played his last college game 36 years ago and remains this known by people not born during the, his day. Earl Campbell, question, no. Jim Brown, no way. I agree with it. Yeah, I did see that actually this morning, yeah. He's just one of those guys. I think that's that such a broad statement. I'm sure there are other universities that have the equivalent of a Bo Jackson that, I mean, Herschel Walker's got to be that way with Georgia, right? I mean, probably. Th- there's some guy who played for the Bulls that I'm sure North Carolina fans would associate with. Michael Jordan, that's right. That's a good point. So I think that that's kind of a broad statement. And like it, it has to be a guy who kind of transcended that cop like you know what i mean like he had to transcend that and become something more than just athlete that played here like bo jackson was athlete he wasn't just football player he was he was everywhere i mean you want like that was him michael jordan same way herschel walker a little bit lower on the scale but he, he's up there I mean, and that's like a guy from georgia that people are know, always going to remember i still put bo jackson in front of herschel walker on that list of greatest athletes of all time and greatest players to have played in college football. 
But Herschel Walker is one of the names of college football, though, of that time period. Even transcending to now, I I don't know if I would say he's down on that tier list. I think he's got similar type of clout. He's He's also making a push in, in politics right now. He's got politics behind him. He's got uh, he had the UFC stuff for a little bit, the MMA stuff that he was doing. So, I mean, he's he's there, but like I just don't think he carries as much weight as Bo Jackson. And maybe that's just my bias coming out. I will. Well, Bo I will played, respect that. Bo, Bo played in other portions of the country where he was a phenom, and that's yeah. because of his professional career. Of course, he played with the Kansas City Royals and did wonderful things in baseball and then also played in Chicago with the White Sox. So in baseball, he did it in different regions of the country. Same division in baseball, but different regions in the country. And then in football, he played out in the West Coast. So he's known throughout the country, I would say. But there are some portions of the country that I would say by now, you're probably creeping into a generation that just doesn't know as much about it. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else who. But Herschel Walker doesn't have that same. If we're talking about Bo versus Herschel here, in terms of clout and reach, Herschel doesn't have that same type of, that same type of reach across the nation of where he played, and then receiving that same level of clout to this day. Right? Like if you're from yeah. the L.A. area, you are familiar with Bo Jackson for his time with the Raiders. Same with the Royals' history, and then also with the White Sox. You know who he is and then of course everybody in the southeastern conference should know who bo jackson is at this point i mean he was at the peak of his career before the hip injury bo jackson was like the unicorn of sports regarded at that time and he has won that espn bracket not too long ago probably in the last 10 years espn ran that greatest athlete of all time bracket and he won that one too and i think rightfully so you look at the stuff bo jackson was doing i'm talking about purely just like athleticism athletic freak bo jackson very much so i, I think greatest athlete of all time and, and that's not bias coming out of here i think you talk about bo and what he was able to do athletically i think that i think that fits the category right i mean if you're like you could take away stats like we're just talking about pure athleticism that he possessed yeah. and that the dude ran up a wall in an outfield he probably wouldn't have gotten hurt i mean there he wouldn't have gotten hurt with the raiders if he wasn't as strong and athletic as he is because yeah. he was able to carry that guy in the way that he was tackled is what caused that and if you're not as athletic as Bo Jackson is, you probably don't get hurt in that situation like he did. Probably don't. I mean, he he's just a freak athlete. I'm trying to think of other guys, but like nothing comes to mind. I think in probably like the next two decades, Tim Tebow might be that guy at some point. Like, I don't think so. He's too irrelevant professional career. Bo Jackson's professional career. He still yeah. stands as the only he player to have. Yeah, he still stands He'll, as the only player ever to have played in both the NFL and. Uh, to to be regarded as like an uh, to be an all-star. Uh, he was a pro bowler yeah. and an all star in I think in baseball. But I think it's when, when you're talking about people who you remember, it's people who transcend what they do. It doesn't matter about the professional level. I think Tebow transcends and reaches people because of his personality, because of his what he stands for, and that kind of reach that he brings in. I think that he will be a guy that people remember on Florida's campus, you know, for a while simply because he's also going to be on TV. Like, he's going to be broadcasting. People are going to know his name oh, from no, that. Oh, no, I agree with that. Florida, yes. Just in a Florida, in a, in a, in a University of Florida s- sphere. Yeah. Yes, 100%. But I thought we were talking about athletes, like, well, I was talking, reaching further than that. I was talking that's about, a small portion of the I was the talking about where you walk around the country, or where you walk around a campus, and you ask people, like, do, oh, who yeah. they know. Like, same yeah, situation. Yeah, everybody's got an Tebow. Like, everybody but will know. But he also didn't play his last college game 36 years ago. Well, that's ago. what I'm saying. Like, I think in the future, like, he could be that guy. Because, like, right now, obviously, everybody's going to know who that is. But, like, 20, 30 years from now, will they? I think they will. 
but that's yet to be seen just because of like how it is. Also, how do, the Jim Brown thing? How do you how do you not know that? Because he said he made the Jeff Perlman going back to his tweet saying that Jim Brown was one of the guys that he brought up that you could walk around a campus and you wouldn't get a single no. If you're on campus there and you, and you don't know who Jim Brown is. I, I don't know. Like I, I could see people not knowing that. I know that was that. much longer. I, I know that was a longer or longer maybe, time period ago. But maybe still. because he was like the first great athlete. I mean, like, you know, there have been so many since. I don't know. I guarantee you there are people on campus who have no idea who Jim Brown is. But there Brown are is. movies about Jim Brown. He's the greatest. He's probably he's the best Syracuse athlete ever. I, I mean know. that. I mean that's fair. I'm just saying that it's a Is long he time ago. The best ago. Syracuse athlete ever. I, I would w- say so, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about some of the other guys. I mean, Carmelo Anthony though. Carmelo's just up there. Saying. I mean, but I mean, Carmelo Anthony. Let's be honest. Pretty overrated. I mean, what's what's he done for me lately? How many rings? To be fair, Jim Brown did win an NFL championship. Exactly. He's got a ring. Cleveland say, with the Browns, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, oh, oh, I forgot. Buddy Beheim. Buddy Beheim, definitely the best Syracuse athlete of all time. <laughs> Easy, number one draft pick. Easy. There were oh, some boy. other Syracuse players. Where Donovan McNabb played? Did he play? He played at Syracuse. Yeah, yeah it was Syracuse. Ooh. Okay, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, 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 he's definitely he's, not better than Jim Brown, of course. He's not but, better than Mello either. Like, not even close, in my opinion. Yeah, Mello's got all those gold medals from. Playing in the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, yeah, like he has a lot of he has a lot. You know, that's quite an accomplishment because yeah. of how many Olympics he played in at Syracuse. But that's true. You know. But I mean, you know, no no NBA titles overrated. What, what have you done for me lately? Something else that plays into this category for me a little bit. Still talking about some of these athletes that Jeff Perlman brought up that you could walk around a campus and ask everybody and they would all know who the guy is. Nobody would say no. You look at some of these players that were brought up by Perlman, in addition to Jim Brown, he said Earl Campbell. Auburn's in a different boat here. Auburn does have a substantial amount of Heisman winners, but you talk about, name some of the major athletes that like nationally everybody's going to know, right? You talk about Cam Newton, you talk about Bo Jackson. Who else nationally will everybody remember for a very long time? Tom Brady. I'm talking about at Auburn. Oh, at Auburn? Oh, okay. Wow. Outside of Cam there. Newton and Bo uh, Jackson. Frank Charles Thomas Barkley. and Charles, Charles Barkley. Barkley, right? So you got a list of four, but that's four players spanning across three different sports. And yes, there are there are many great athletes that have came through the door at Auburn University. Legends that Auburn people will remember, but the point that I'm trying to make, and they should be remembered, they were excellent players, but the point that I'm trying to make is that nationally, most people don't really remember Carnell Williams. They don't. And, and that was going to be my next now, guess, actually. And 10 years from now, though, 15 years from now, though, across the nation, you ask somebody in Los Angeles who Carnell Williams is, and they're not going to be able to tell you who Carnell Williams was, right? And so I'm talking about guys that transcended also going to the professional level, and I think there are other universities that are packed with more players like that, and so maybe it is easier to forget an Earl Campbell or a Jim Brown because well maybe not as much Jim Brown because we're talking about Syracuse there but the Ohio States the USC's some of these Alabama Mm. right they have so many players that have that have risen to that status or that level where it kind of normalizes it almost yeah I mean that's and that's incredibly fair because at least from a national standpoint once again I'm not disparaging anything Auburn has done with athletes I think Auburn has had great athletes 
all throughout its history. I'm just saying guys that have risen to national prominence to that level where they will be remembered across the country. Bama's got more guys. Ohio State has more guys. USC has more guys I'll, that people will remember. I'll raise you one right now, and I'll say that you could probably walk on Auburn's campus and ask about Carnell Williams, and there will be a good majority who has no idea who that is. Or Ronnie Brown. Or, yeah, because like you forget that a lot of these— You'll get some no's there. I would agree the, with that. you got to think the students now. like They're like, oh, he's a coach, right? And be like— no, well, you got to think. Slap like, my head. They're they're a lot Shaking younger. Head, they're a lot younger, and I mean, I knew when I was. I know when I was that young. If you asked me, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit different of a case, but like, I mean, you could probably make a case for people who are around that age, average people, not like you and I, Noah, who just ate. You know, we we were just eating it all up. We took everything in. We were trying I know to Juice learn. Juice Williams, Illinois quarterback. Yeah, Let's go like back we to were, yesterday's show talking about yes, that. We were taking up way too much. So I'm talking about like the average college student. They probably don't know who that is. If he wasn't a coach, he de- they definitely would not know who that is. And that's it's sad. They but probably that's, don't even know that he's a coach. That's, what about that's uh, true. Ben Tate? He didn't rise know, to that level. I know, though. but he was Great still really back, good. But didn't rise to that level of national prominence. I mean, it's just like it's going to be think. hard. It, like I don't think there's anybody else that will really like stick out. Out, out like outside of that list. Like I mean, there's there's, there's not a lot of people who probably guy. don't remember Jason Campbell. Yeah, and we're talking about young people, not adults, but young people. You're you're getting to a generation yes. now where you go and ask random Auburn students who was Jason Campbell. If they didn't grow up here, they probably don't know who Jason Campbell is. You also got to think a lot of these Auburn students did not grow up here. We were exceptions where we were also from this area and grew up watching all these things. Like we we knew who the Damien Craigs were growing yeah. up. Like even even though that was before our time, like we still grew up knowing who those people were because we were from the area. A lot of these kids. They're coming here for school. They came to play school. Came to play school. Just like oh, Cardell. Cardell Jones, yeah, right? I didn't, I didn't come here to play school, man. <laughs> came here to play football, gauge. right? Classes are pointless. Oh, yeah, 12 gauge. Man. That's good. That's good. Well, let's head to a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we'll continue in our series. One question for each SEC East team. Georgia, up next. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting on the show with you today on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going back to our topic that we opened the show with, talking about some of the most iconic athletes to have ever played in collegiate athletics, and then their clout, and do people still know them? My wife texted me during the br- during the break, who's Jim Brown? <laughs> I told you, people yeah. don't know who Jim Brown is. Yeah, so but she- she's, from, she's from Alabama. I'm from, uh, you know... Uh, you know, I'm from here, but I'm a Browns fan, so of course I'm going to know J- who Jim Brown is. I think if you walk on Syracuse's campus, you know who Jim Brown is. That's fair. I think you would. They they have. I don't know if they have a statue up there, but I'm sure they 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 would have something there. That and, and Jim Brown's come up more recently in the news as he's gotten more advanced in age because they've I'm trying to think of the right word. They've celebrated him a lot recently. I feel like. That's Not only true. in yeah, the NFL, fair. but also in Syracuse and with the Browns. They, they do it, seems like, every year. But the genesis of the conversation came from Jeff Perlman's tweet that I saw last night. Walking around Auburn asking students whether they know who Bo Jackson is. Not a single no yet. Hard to think of another athlete who played his last college game 36 years ago and remains this known by people not born during his day. Earl Campbell? No. Jim Brown? No way. We came up with a couple. Michael Jordan, of course. But... And then we ended up kind of shifting the conversation off the air to like the the Tr- trio, like a, like a trio of like one guy from baseball, basketball, and football. 
Auburn may have fewer than like Ohio State, USC, your Alabama, your Florida. Yeah, they may have fewer like all-time athletes, you know, because there's a long list for some of those schools that I just named. But name a better tri-sport trio here between like the best athlete and then put that against some of the other schools in the country. Try and beat Bo Jackson slash cam newton for football take your pick i think both of them in college are beast but let's just go with bo jackson considering for the sake of our argument here try beat bo jackson frank thomas and charles barkley across that trio there's some there's some tough tough universities that uh that that i there's some really good universities historically they're gonna have a hard time beating those three i would argue to put cam newton at football put bo jackson at baseball and then put charles barkley in there and you're just hitting them frank thomas is a hall of famer in baseball though yeah but people don't care about baseball anymore is, I mean, like uh, I, I'm talking about, like in terms of the younger audience, like it's dying in the younger audience. Also, People do care, but it's dying among that younger Auburn audience. Had Tim Hudson, just saying. Tim Hudson was a guy. And he's got a ring. That is true. He does. He'll have be a, a Hall ring. of Famer. That is true. He does have a ring. Mm. Sting. What about uh, Texas? I couldn't find Earl. a Texas baseball player. That was the problem. Didn't Roger Clemens play at Texas? I couldn't find. I'm I couldn't think sure of some research. Think he did. I mean, you have KD. Still, yeah. then you have, I, I, you have KD in basketball. I'm not saying it's better. Hold on a second. He gets hit for PEDs, though. Frank Thomas did not. Okay, that doesn't not beat that doesn't beat better. Auburn in baseball. I'm just saying it's comparable because then you have Earl Campbell in football, just to name one. Does I mean, Kevin Durant also... beat Charles Barkley in basketball? This Pro- is the battle of Levi's not. conundrum of of fake rings versus no rings. What do you mean fake <laughs> rings? KD didn't win a ring. <laughs> so what what about Clemens? You got it. I'm looking it up. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. This shouldn't be that difficult. Well, yeah. Just search Roger Clemens. It'll have I, I, his college in his Wikipedia see, page. I don't see his college in his Wikipedia really? page. Maybe he, he had play. to have played at Texas. Maybe he's maybe it's Collegi- his kid. Oh, here that we plays go. Uh, he play. He attended University of Texas at Austin at some point. Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. I don't know. Maybe he didn't finish That's his a career bump. there or something. But yeah. So then I mean, you have Earl Campbell for football, or maybe Vince Young, alternatively, or I think Warren Vince Moon Young for blew Texas up too. in his last year though. I'd still, he I'd was still edge before. it with He was good, but he Vince blew Young, up that last year. Vince Young will always be remembered because of that one, because of the play, because of that season. He had season. won that play. Like, how does he, how does he shape up? Because like to people other are, great people are still going to remember him at Texas, but he will be remembered nationally for the most part. Like, maybe not as much of a reach as you know, like some of the top tier guys we've been talking about. But people will remember him simply for. The, one of the greatest national championship games you've ever watched, if not the greatest one. I think Vince and that Young came to that play. Vince Young is already one of the oft forgotten about quarterbacks to have won a Heisman. If he doesn't he didn't win, win the, a Heisman, Vince Young. No, he didn't win a Heisman. No, Reggie no, Bush won, and it was taken away. That's but, right, he yeah. did win that. Wow. Yeah, Vince okay, Young is still. probably the best to never win a Heisman. Okay, yeah, well, he's I go back. The best to my never bad. Win. I don't know why I thought that he won a. Heisman. Maybe I won a Heisman with him on that NCAA football video. Because he was so it good. Just blurred the lines because for me. he was good. Like <laughs> he, he was, was des- he was deserving, but there was a guy named for Reggie Bush. For some reason, out there. I have this vague image in my mind of Vince Young lifting up a Heisman trophy. But I, your your guys are right. That did not happen. Revisionist history in my brain. But fine, you're right. So even if he does, if he doesn't win that national championship. Vince Young's an afterthought, guys. No, hundred percent. But he that's did what, have a Rose Bowl win. But. but that's what I'm saying. Like him, him winning that national championship the way he won it against who he won it, he'll be cemented forever because of yeah, that. Yeah, there's a moment. It's true. Like there, there are athletes that you remember for reasons that aren't necessarily them playing amazing. People, are, Mark Sanchez will be remembered forever because of the butt fumble. Like that's just how that those kind of athletes happen sometimes. Like it's like, oh yeah, Vince Young was amazing in college, but. He's going to be often forgot about among some of the others, but it came to that one play. 
I don't think Texas is. I don't think Texas's trio beats Auburn's. Trio oh no, no, I am not saying that. You're just Texas talking about another school that's got a great that trio, has a great of trio that you could, I think, compare at least for a little bit. I'm having a hard time on my North Carolina baseball knowledge, but I'm sure North Carolina, considering they're one of the best ACC programs in baseball, has put a player into the MLB. They've got a lot of good players in the MLB, but I'm sure an all timer that I just can't. That I can't call to mind at the moment was an all timer that also played at North Carolina. I just can't call one to mind at the moment. But they've got Lawrence Taylor on the football end, and then Michael Jordan in basketball. Auburn's not beating Michael Jordan there, and then Lawrence Taylor's great. But I, I still think that Auburn beats with Bo Jackson or Cam Newton. I think they beat Lawrence Taylor on that front, mainly because there's probably more of a there's probably more of a bias and an edge towards offense in terms of how we remember athletes. But Lawrence Taylor yeah. did change the game and football on the defensive side. But still, I think Auburn. I think Auburn's got the edge on them in football in that category, not in basketball. But then you get down to baseball, and it's like I don't remember a whole. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not well versed in North Carolina baseball history in the MLB. But Frank Thomas is a hard guy to beat for a lot of these teams. Yeah, I mean he's a Hall of Famer, right? So. And then also, I mean Tim Hudson and some other guys. You know, just just saying. But I mean, there's not like it's hard to find a consistent. San Diego State's got a nice trio. Yeah, like Tony it, Gwynn, Kawhi Leonard. And then Marshall Falk, still not better than Auburn's, but solid trio. I'm trying, like I'm. I have the biggest one I have trouble with is baseball because, like, a lot of some, well, not you know how how well versed are we in you know MLB right, players collegiate history? Because well, oftentimes like, well, a lot it of them they don't a while go, to get into the MLB, and then it's like a lot of them don't go to college. A lot of yeah. them, a lot of them have came straight out of high school historically, so it's hard to. That's a little bit harder to justify. Like it's hard to find. It's almost like or they're f- not from the United States. That as well, yeah. I mean, it's oftentimes you're looking at it and you're thinking, all right, who's a good baseball player? Did he go to college? Let's try to build this around <laughs> that one. Because more often than not, you can find like yeah. one guy from the other sports who made it even at bad basketball and or baseball or um, basketball and or football schools. North Carolina hadn't always been great at football, but you look at it, you put a guy like Lawrence Taylor into the league. It's a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Big like deal. you're going to remember a guy. I mean, don't forget about the you know MVP Mitchell Trubisky. First time Nickelodeon valuable player, Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> yeah, quarterback. That's right. Still He's, does not edge Lawrence Taylor, but uh, that's pretty close. That's quite a that's quite a big accolade. There. How many MVPs does uh, Lawrence Taylor have? None. How many Mitchell Trubisky have? One. Scoreboard. Easy. Georgia's got a pretty good football and basketball mix when you talk about Herschel Walker and Dominique Wilkins, but beyond that, I don't know what they. I don't know what their claim to fame is in baseball at the next level yeah. but still I, I don't think they, I, i'm thinking surely somebody like arkansas has to have somebody because i mean they've had a pretty good basketball program in the past and they have a pretty great baseball program but i don't know maybe but nothing jumps off the page may, maybe somebody like oklahoma but yeah i'm not sure i don't i don't think there is one i'm sure oklahoma's got some we just would need more time to think or do research but on the other side of this break, we got Christian Page of CoverOne.net to talk to us about the NFL Draft. We get some great analysis from him coming up on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes into today's show and now headed to the phone lines and joining us as promised we've got christian page of cover1.net christian how you doing today my man i'm good guys how are y'all we're doing great and it's a day away from the draft so i know you've got to be 
you, 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 your spidey senses have to be tingling. You, your, your anticipation and your excitement has to be an all-time high because one of the best days of the year for you is tomorrow. I mean, how excited are you right now? Like, is this, is this the calm before the storm, or can you barely contain your excitement at the moment? Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of calm, but, you know, there's some moves that were made this morning that kind of shook things up a little bit. Uh, but, I, hey, we see, we see the finish line here, and we just got to wait, you know, a little over 24 hours to get there. So, no, it's a calm before the storm, but I won't say storm because it's definitely an exciting time. Well, take me through the moves today and how that changes the landscape of the NFL draft going into tomorrow. Because I said on yesterday's show that I felt like most moves were wrapped up, things were going to be pretty quiet this week, and then it was going to be draft day phenomenons that we see every single year where that would be when the moves were going to be made. I felt like everything had, all the drama had already been played out, but that, that's not the case with some of the moves that, that have happened today. Take us through those, and then how does that affect the, the draft landscape? Yeah, I think the the main move highlighting this morning was Teddy Bridgewater sent from Carolina now to Denver. And Denver was in that potential quarterback conversation, even though they have Drew Locke, uh, you know, trying to gain some rapport with those receivers. There's been some injuries, so it's still, you know, that evaluation process for them. So they bring in, you know, veteran Teddy Bridgewater now. So I think that will at least bridge a year or two from them really making the next call on their franchise quarterback. And maybe it is Teddy Bridgewater that can work out with something him in the future, but that doesn't necessarily change what Carolina will do because they're still looking at offensive tackle. They're still looking at cornerback. They made their, um, they made their decision on quarterback just a few weeks ago when they did trade for Sam Darnold. So it wasn't a surprise to see Teddy Bridgewater move on from that organization. So Carolina's still looking at potentially offensive tackle, uh, maybe the best one on the board, depending on where Penny Sewell falls out of Oregon, maybe Rashawn Slater uh, out of Northwestern, or they may have their option as the top defender on the board. Is that Patrick Sertan out of Alabama, the, another defender on the board, or if they feel more comfortable with somewhat of a local product like J.C. Horn out of South Carolina, that could make plenty of sense for them in the secondary. So with Carolina and Denver, the move made this morning doesn't necessarily shake things up for Carolina, but Denver maybe puts them in a little different perspective going into tomorrow's draft about a month ago two teams that we believed were going to be taking quarterbacks the carolina panthers and the denver broncos both made moves to go and get existing starting quarterbacks already in the league to try and change their quarterback situation who's now going to be the teams taking quarterbacks and they may not have to move up now and a team that i'm kind of alluding to right now the patriots what other teams now may be in the market for qb now that these two are presumably out of that market? Yeah, it seems. I mean, the top three teams have made it pretty evident that they're targeting a quarterback. We know that Trevor Lawrence, it's all but official that Jacksonville is going to take him with the number one pick. New York Jets, it seems like Zach Wilson's been the guy for, heck, a few months now. And in San Francisco, we know they made that move up to number three to pick a quarterback, whether that is Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, whatever report you want to listen to today. Um, I'm not necessarily buying it's Lance or Jones. I still think Justin Fields is definitely a possibility, and that would that that would be my pick if I was in their situation. But you, like you said, you know there is rumors that maybe Detroit flirts with the idea, even though they got Jared Goff in a trade for Matthew Stafford uh, just a, over so a month ago. Um, you you look at teams like New England potentially moving up now, but they may not have to. I mean, there was a mock by Chris Sims that had Justin Fields falling all the way down to pick number thirty-two. I think that's completely ludicrous. I don't think that's going to happen. But if he is well-connected with the league and we respect 
his, his mock draft and respect his reporting, that means there is a lot of fluidity in where Fields may be going in the draft this weekend, uh, excuse me, tomorrow. And so that does give New England maybe a little bit more leverage than we thought, maybe staying at 15. Maybe now Carolina is, um, you know, a potential to move out and look to trade with New England because they, uh, you know, not necessarily have to go after that quarterback. Denver the same way at number nine. Maybe New England can kind of talk with them and say, hey, we want a quarterback. If there is one available there, maybe on draft night when those two selections come up, New England could kind of slide up in that top ten, potentially get Justin Fields, who last year at this time was at least being mentioned as possibly the number one pick in this draft. Let's look at some picks that are not expected to be quarterbacks outside of trades. you got four, five, and six, the Falcons, the Bengals, and then the Dolphins. Are you buying Kyle Pitts to the Falcons? Do you think the Cincinnati Bengals make the right decision and get Sewell? And what are the Dolphins are going? To, what are they going to do? Are they going to go get a receiver? What do you think is going to happen with those three picks? Yeah, I, it's funny because I think four, five, and six they could all use some kind of offensive lineman, but they could also all use some sort of weapon. So you can kind of answer the question for all three of those teams. But with Atlanta, yes, I'm totally buying the Kyle Pitts hype. Just a lot of people I've listened to over the past week or so. There's a lot of people in that Atlanta organization that really think highly of Kyle Pitts, and that could be just another weapon for Matt Ryan, partner with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, um, and then potentially maybe in round two they can sneak up and get a starting running back because there are a few uh, that I think would be definitely viable options for Atlanta. So I'm totally buying Atlanta's hype uh, of picking Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. Cincinnati, I think they should make the right decision and go offensive line route whether that is Penny Sewell out of Oregon, the best offensive tackle on the board, potentially Rayshon Slater out of Northwestern, that may offer a little more uh, versatility if you want to go that route, or do they take whoever they see is the best wide receiver on the board? My opinion, that is Jamar Chase out of LSU. Even though sitting out this past season, he did enough in that national championship year run to solidify himself as that wide receiver one. And again, when you have that investment in a quarterback, especially like with Joe Burrow a year ago, just build pieces. you got to put pieces around them to make him successful, whether that is up front on the offensive line, whether that is on the outside in the wide receiver room. I think they could bypass the wide receiver given T. Higgins had a pretty solid rookie season last year. Uh, so I think they should probably look at offensive line, but I could definitely see both sides. But I think offensive line would be the best way to go. Miami, probably the same thing, but I could see them also investing you know, in Tua Tonga Bailoa from a year ago. Get him another weapon, whether that's his teammate, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, that was outside of Alabama, or maybe if Kyle Pitts is not the pick at pick four for Atlanta, I could definitely see Miami investing in that type of playmaking ability, make Kyle Pitts just really that primary option at offense, whether it lied to him inside, in the slot, or sometimes even outside. He's just that offensive weapon, got to get the ball in his hands, and I think that would make a lot of sense for Miami. Speaking with Christian Page of CoverOne.net about tomorrow's NFL draft all the way through Saturday, going back to the Falcons at four, and you're speaking about them taking offensive players through their first couple of selections. How close does that get the Falcons back to competing in their own division in the NFC South, or do they need a lot of help on the defensive side of the ball too? Where are the Falcons at after this draft in your mind? Yeah, they do need some help on the defensive side of the ball, too. They need some help in the secondary, especially a cornerback. They need some kind of go-to pass rusher as well. So I don't think necessarily adding a bunch of playmakers on offense, because we've seen this trend for Atlanta before, doesn't necessarily work. It puts a lot of points on the board, but we know they're kind of Achilles' heel over the years. 
ironically with Dan Quinn, has been crumbling on the defensive side of the ball. Whether that is injuries, because they've had a lot. You know, Keanu Neal was constantly banged up in the secondary. Desmond Trufant had his injuries as well when he was in Atlanta Falcons. So if they can just stay healthy on the defensive side of the ball, maybe we really could see that potential come to fruition. But I think the Falcons still have a little bit more time to go when they can really compete at the top. And I know a lot of local fans, they don't want to hear that. But given, you know, where New Orleans is, even with the retirement of Drew Brees, um, assuming that he stays retired, um, I think their personnel and their coaching is still 100% involved where they can, you know, at least piece together Taysom Hill or whoever it may be going forward and still have that winning wave. We know Tampa Bay is still going to be locked and loaded as well. Carolina, I mean, they had to have a year under their belt with Matt Rule. And now if they're going to invest fully in Sam Darnold and then Chris McCaffrey comes fully back healthy, then they're still looking to contend for a potential playoff spot. So I think Atlanta still is that fourth-best team in that division. And it's going to take a little more foundation pieces on the defensive side of the ball in order to get back into that breath of talking about them as a playoff team. Well, you brought him up, so i got to ask. What do you think the Saints are going to do in the draft? Do you think they're going to trade up and get Farley like the reports are coming out this morning? Possibly. The, the, the thing that really concerns me, I mean, I know they need a need for – or they have a need for cornerback, but with Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, he sat out a year uh, – or he sat out this past year uh, with the opt-out, but then he had constant injuries with, with legs, with back, and I think he just got diagnosed with COVID this morning. So just the, it, the line of events just aren't really – going according to plan in his his opinion but it makes a lot of sense like i said they're the saints are structured their roster structured in a way where if that doesn't work out they have enough stability on that team where they can piece together and supplement what may not work so if if new orleans i mean they probably just play best player available they could use some help at corner i don't think they're going to get a wide receiver in the first round but you can make a case at some point in the draft as well maybe finding another pass rusher so you know maybe it is farley if they Look to you know trade up for him. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern is a guy that has a lot of buzz. Is potentially a top twenty pick, so maybe that's an opportunity for them as well. Um, and then maybe an edge player that sat out again this past year, Greg Russo out of Miami, who at one time coming into the season was a preseason top fifteen pick. He has the opportunity to maybe learn from some of those veterans on the Saints defensive roster and really develop in quite a, in a nice playmaker. Well, if Levi's going to ask about his team, I'm going to ask about mine because I'm not used to Cleveland drafting this low <laughs> in the first round. What do you think the Browns draft strategy is now that they're in unfamiliar territory, uncharted waters? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And as a Titans fan, when they've made the playoffs run, uh, you know, it is different because they're always sandwiched in the top 10 or the mid round. And then now they're, they're further back and there's their trend there. So I don't know if I should say get comfortable with Cleveland being there, but it is a nice feeling. But as far as needs for them, I think interior defensive line is probably a need that they need uh, to address there. And Christian Barmore out of Alabama had a spectacular season uh, this past year. He really showed the playmaking ability from the inside to be able to rush the passer, showed a little two-gapping ability. So if he can kind of gain some attention uh, and then let Miles Garrett run free off the outside, whether uh, you know the, the free agent signings work out to Cleveland's benefit, but I think interior defensive line, would be a really good idea to go forward because you may have the opportunity to get the top defensive tackle in this class, and it is a very poor class. So I don't think that's something that they want to address outside of the first round. But as receiver, which I know there were some drops uh, throughout Baker Mayfield's season last year, they need to, uh, need to address that wide receiver room. But this wide receiver class is very deep 
as it always is at least the past two, three, maybe even four years, they can address that at some point in the draft and maybe maybe get another young pass rusher that can develop under the two veteran guys on the roster. Well, I'll ask this question real quick before we let you get out of here then. It's a deep wide receiver class. Who's somebody that could emerge outside of the first round that can maybe end up being somebody's wide receiver number one one day? I asked that question because you bring up the receiver room, and I think, well, Odo Beckham Jr. was hurt last year. But, hey, if the Browns decide to go and draft a guy that ends up being a beast and ends up being capable of being a wide receiver number one, well, then you don't have to worry about paying Odell anymore, and you can kind of get some of the, the locker room things out of the way, too, that for some reason there's just been chemistry issues with him in Cleveland. But this year showed promise. But nonetheless, who's a receiver outside of the first round that you think has wide receiver one potential on NFL teams? Yeah, a guy that may, I mean, he may be that sleeper to sneaking up into the first round, but I think he's probably just right there around that top 40, top 50 mark is Deame Brown, the North Carolina wide receiver. I thought he had an incredible year last year. 89% of his catches have gone for either a touchdown or a first down in his college career. He had 17 catches over 25 yards a year ago, uh, and his drop rate is just about six and a half, which isn't too bad. So even though he did deal with some drops a year ago, but I think he has that vertical threat ability. He can play underneath, really benefited in that vertical passing offense under Phil Longo at North Carolina and benefited from his contemporary on the other side, Daz Newsom, who's probably going to be a, a really a good steal in day three for somebody looking for a wide receiver three. But Deami Brown, he has the build. He has the vertical threat, and I think he has some of that versatility as well, some of those concentration and ball awareness that you really look for in a wide receiver one. I think he could definitely make a splash, and maybe, I mean, you see guys like the DK Metcalfs, uh, you know, out of Ole Miss that went to Seattle as the last, uh, the second, the last pick in the second round in his respective draft. He's took the NFL by storm. A.J. Brown, very similar in Tennessee. Well, they both played under Phil Longo at Ole Miss. Yami Brown also played uh, under Phil Longo at North Carolina. So if we want to keep that trend, both of those guys have turned into true wide receiver one, number ones. Let's make Yami Brown the same way. Christian, my good friend, I appreciate it, my man. Tell everybody where they can find all of your content and your draft coverage throughout this weekend. Absol- yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. You can check everything out, cover1.net. You can follow our account at cover1 on Twitter, and you can follow me and all my content on Twitter at underscore Christian Page. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. And also, I hope you enjoy the draft uh, to its fullest. Yeah, you know I will. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, my man. That was Christian Page of CoverOne.net on the line with us. We wrap up the first hour of the show on the other side of this break here on On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting with you. Wrapping up hour number one here of the show. Got about five minutes left in hour number one. Before we wrap it up, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The major networks will have coverage of President Joe Biden's address to Congress beginning at 8. Prior to that, you can catch The Price is Right at night at 7 on CBS. On ABC, new episodes of a pair of sitcoms, The Goldbergs is on at 7 and Home Economics at 7.30. A new episode of Guy's Grocery Games can be seen at 8 on Food Network. Some movie selections for tonight, The Born Identity is on AMC at 7. A retired CIA black ops operative turned vigilante, The Equalizer 2 is on FX at 7. 
the sequel to intergalactic robots battling on Earth, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is on Sci-Fi at 7. In live sports, one game is nationally televised in the MLB. The Atlanta Braves host the Chicago Cubs at 6.20 on FS1 with Oscar Enoa getting the start for the Braves against the Cubs' Kyle Hendricks. Two NBA games are on ESPN beginning at 6.30 with the Los Angeles Lakers at the Philadelphia 76ers. Chris Paul has the Suns playing their best basketball in over a decade. They host the Clippers at 9. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting here. Wrap it up. Hour number one of On the Line. Just before that interview we just had with Christian Page, if you missed that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. 22 minutes ago, the SEC released via their Twitter account, in all caps, news, just shouting at us. The 2021 SEC Football Media Day's appearance schedule has been announced. You got the schedule right here. We don't have the dates at least on this graphic right here are not dates we have the dates we don't have the times of the schedule yet at the moment at least i'll go i'll go in, into the article and see what order we've got here they don't have the order of it just yet they have the dates but on those specific days they don't have the order in which those coaches will appear so monday july 19th the first day of the event you got Florida with Dan Mullen, LSU, Ed Orgeron, and South Carolina with Shane Beamer. That's the first day. Once again, that may not be the order in which they appear, but those are the three guys that will be at the podium on day one of SEC Media Days. That may be the qu- the most quotable day of, of of SEC Media Days. Think about all the drama that's going on with LSU's program at the moment. You know, there's got to be a lot of questions about that at Media Day because that has overshadowed everything football-related at LSU the stuff going on with Darius Geis reportedly getting banned from the football from the from from the football program not being able to go back I mean that that's wild in itself but then the lawsuits that have that have emerged week after week there there seems to be new lawsuits new new allegations and then lost in all of this is the fact that there is allegations against the football and basketball programs for impermissible benefits and cheating inside their inside their programs and football related duties not off the field stuff but just football stuff i mean there's there's thousands of issues right now it seems with the lsu program and you know that's that is what's going to be asked about a large portion of it at least 50 percent. you feel like the questions are going to be about the off the field stuff rather than the on the field stuff so that's going to be an interesting day but also just those two coaching personalities they always give you interesting press conferences whether it be dan mullen or ed orgeron they're very quotable so that's going to be an interesting day one the sec's coming out swinging with this it'll be interesting i don't think sting's going to want to watch it though because we figured out he hates dan mullen (laughs) yes i do he's got a picture of him on a dartboard in his room (laughs) tuesday yes (laughs) <laughs> Tuesday, July 20th, day two, it'll be Georgia with Kirby Smart, Kentucky's Mark Stoops, Ole Miss's Lane Kiffin, and then Tennessee's Josh Hoipel. What would have been a super boring day, the Lane train rolls in, so they've at least got one personality out of that group. That's going to be a pretty interesting character to see at the podium. On Wednesday, it'll be Alabama with Nick Saban, Mississippi State, and Mike Leach, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, and then Vanderbilt with new head coach Clark Lee. That'll be, you know, once again, Mike Leach. The, the Mississippi schools making up for the middle days there with, with what would have been uh, pretty boring coaches that they're surrounded by. You got Mike Leach there on that Wednesday. And then Auburn will appear on the third day. On Thursday, July 22nd, it'll be Arkansas with Sam Pittman, Auburn with Brian Harson, and then Missouri with Eli Drinkwitz. I feel like reporters are going to enjoy that one with Brian Harson because he just gives so much he gets so much more information than Gus Malzahn does in I my think, opinion I think that's changed a little bit though as spring went on it felt like Brian Harson spoke a lot he would have really long answers without really telling you right. anything and he gives I you a lot think, to chew on I think yes. without ever actually telling you anything 
I, I would say that there's less information coming out of the Auburn football program now. under Brian Harson as opposed more, to Gus Malzahn. Now. It'll be more interesting to listen to, though. But is I that think. because relationships haven't been built yet with this new regime? Possibly so. It might take some time. Yeah, you feel more comfortable talking to beat, repo- beat reporters and such that you've dealt with for years. So, I mean, they're going to have to develop that kind of rapport with each other. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll come back in hour number two talking about make or break factors for Auburn football in 2021. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting in the studio on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been an outstanding, outstanding first hour of the show, and now we're into what's going to be an outstanding hour number two. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. That's one of the locations that you can watch our show on Facebook. You can also watch it on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. That is how you can watch our show every day here on On the Line. Gentlemen, good first hour. We had Christian Page on in the first hour as well to talk a little NFL draft with us. If anybody missed that conversation, I encourage you, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Go and listen to that conversation I would say that he is the most knowledgeable person that I know about football. And anytime I ever have him on the show, I will say that because it is the truth. He is he is the most knowledgeable person that I know. That uh, Most knowledgeable when it comes to football. It just by far blows it out of the water every time. Brought Phil Longo out as a reason why De'Ami Brown's going to be a beast in the NFL. If the Browns draft De'Ami Brown, I, I'm going to lose my mind. In say, a good way. You, yeah, when you have comparisons like that, I mean, it's kind of hard not to get excited. Um, and... It, it was funny because like a week ago, that same question might have resulted in different answers because De'Ami Brown's kind of just recently kind of started gaining traction. And a guy like Rashad Bateman, who was in that second round tier, he's getting he's getting some now some first round mocks going towards a team like the Green Bay Packers toward the end of the draft. So you're seeing a lot of these receivers who which what once was like a super deep receiver class. It still is. But you're seeing a lot of these guys kind of start creeping up a little bit into the first round and the fringe rounds. It's a. Uh, it's interesting to see. That's what happens typically around this time. Quarterbacks start rising. Receivers start rising. Next thing you know, you'll have a guy like Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater drop to a perfect situation where you need a, need a lineman, and you're just sitting there going, yes, I will take these guys any day of the week. We're going to start off hour number two here, not with the NFL draft, but we're going to start it with make-or-break factors for Auburn football in 2021 take that in whatever direction you will whether it's schedule related whether it is whether it whether it's personnel related coaching related whatever it is 
Take it, take it in whatever direction you want. Make or break factors for Auburn football in 2021. Phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. What make or break factors do you have for Auburn football in 2021? And if you don't want to talk about that, we'll, we'll, we'll take your call. Talk about anything sports related. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That is how you can call into the show. Make or break factors here, gentlemen. Somebody got to start it off. I say, let me, I'll, get, I'll get the cop out one out of the way. I'll get the easy one out of the way. We won't touch on too much. Offensive I'm, line. I'm gonna say, well, Bo Nix. Yeah, I was gonna what say, what what might either, it be? I say either one of those two. Let's the say, two let's, hottest answers let's in say, the off season. Let's get the cop out ones out of the way. Let's get the easy ones, the ones that everybody's going to go to. Quarterback and line play. They're kind of go hand in hand because when the line's not playing good, the quarterback's not playing good, and even if the line's playing good, if the quarterback's not playing good, still not going to get much done on the offensive side of the football throwing yeah. it. So those are two easy answers. Bo Nix got to be more consistent. You want to see him get some good down-the-field accuracy going. You want to see him spread it, go through his progressions, not just target one guy like he typically would like to do with a Seth Williams. You want to see him open it up, control the offense, don't make bad mistakes, don't turn the ball over, just control the game. You got a great running back behind you. Let the offense go through the running game, open up the play action, control the game. Just don't lose the game. Yes, don't lose the game with – bad decision making and interceptions don't do that and then easy the other easy one offensive line it it speaks for itself when your quarterback's running for his life almost every play and then even when you actually do get a pass block and he starts seeing ghost and phantom rush he's still bailing out because you've been so bad at the pass at you know pass blocking for so you know for pretty much his whole career that's going to be something that has to improve. I don't know. His freshman year, that offensive line gave up just under two yeah, sacks a okay, game. Yeah, it, it was one of the bad. top pass-blocking units in the SEC. That's true. Statistically, that's it was true. his freshman year. People will not remember it that way because, because for the, some reason yeah. they lump his freshman offensive line with his sophomore offensive that's line. True. That's fair. Vastly different. Did everybody forget that five guys graduated off of that line last year? That's true. Yeah, I forget about that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I lump it in because recency bias. Like, you know. Last year, I saw I how bad it was. I, last year was last year he was had ba- a good blocking offensive line, pass blocking offensive line. His freshman year, not a good run blocking offensive line that freshman year. No, and then yeah. the role it switched. Flipped. Yeah, this past year, good run blocking. I would say at least most of the time, horrendous pass blocking. Oh good yeah, gracious. a bit, a bit of a culture shock. They were they were <laughs> so bad this past year at pass blocking that it was enough to uh, weigh down his freshman year. Is this enough to make you think to make you? remember the freshman offensive line poorly because you're like oh yeah these guys are so bad they were bad enough for the the guys before them and the guys after them i mean that's i mean that's what's going to have to happen though you're gonna have to get quarterback play line play those are the two easy answers i got them out of the way i copped everybody out y'all can find the now we can go through the you know the deeper ones the ones that are not as obvious i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna stay on the offensive side of the ball but i think i'm gonna go and say that the play of the receiving core is gonna be make or break the season because it's all new guys for the most part. I mean, the people who are the guys who are going to be starting at receiver this year have had very limited snaps at most. So I think that means that Bonix is going to have to build chemistry with these receivers, build a rapport, and they're also going to have to prove that they can be reliable pass catchers in all situations and be great route runners and everything. We just we just don't know how they're going to be. So if they turn out to not be very good at that, then it's going to be a rough year. But See, I, I go into. I understand the direction you're going there. I don't know if I would go to a degree, and it is important. The, the receivers' play is important. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that it's a make or break factor for the offensive success, because we're talking about quarterback play and offensive line play. 
I think that's the make or break factor. Well, yeah, I just didn't want to. I don't think you know, the receiver. I understand him, that. But. I understand that. That is pretty. I mean, it is important for the receivers to play well. I just don't know if I don't think the receiving the receivers play breaks this offense. If the receivers play poorly, I don't think that that destroys this offense. I think there's ways for them to find a way to succeed in spite of that, and it definitely doesn't help. But I don't think it destroys the offense. Because I just can't, I can't imagine a world where, or not a world, but I can't imagine a scenario where Auburn's receivers are so terrible that they can't catch passes, right? At the end of the day, I think it's more important Bo Nix's delivery of those passes to those receivers. But then again, yeah. you look at the A-Day game, you look at the spring game, I think the receivers play did hinder the offense's that's, ability. That's they probably did make why it more I'm difficult. saying that, too, is having yeah. seen that, it's still it's fresh in my mind. So, And I felt like Bo played well enough to deliver the football consistently to those terrible. guys. So, I think he played fine. Yeah. I think he played. I think I don't. I don't. I don't think we saw him make mistakes. I didn't see yeah. any mistakes from Bo Nix in the eight day game. Yeah, there wasn't anything any, that was nothing that was going to lose you a game. I didn't see him make any throws where I was like, I, we saw him make one throw where I was like, okay, he did not make that throw last year, and that was when the pressure forced him out of the pocket but then he realized well i'm either going to take a sack i can throw the ball away or i can make a great throw here and he threw the ball to the far sideline and elijah canyon came back and made that catch and that was put into a location where only his receiver could make the the catch and it was under pressure and he has shown an ability to do that too that's not the first time he's done something like that and then i, I think, think the pass that he had that was a touchdown pass to canyon in the end zone was a good throw as yeah. well that was fit that was fit into a tight window so i think we may have seen sparingly but twice we saw two throws where you're like all right he didn't make those with consistency last year we know he's capable of it i think it's just more important for him to be consistent in delivering because if he does flashes yeah yeah. i don't think these receivers are going to be so bad that it's going to destroy this offense or break it i'm going to go in a different direction from you guys i'm going to look at the schedule i'm going to say a make or break factor for auburn this year is whether or not they win in baton rouge they lose to lsu I think this this season is definitely I, I I don't know if they reach the eight win threshold that I've got them hitting this year. I think Auburn wins eight games at least this season because I think they win in Baton Rouge and I I think beating LSU earlier in the season, considering that is the first SEC win, that's going to give them some confidence. They will lose to Georgia the next week, but they'll be able to build off of what they've done early in the season. I think they're good enough to beat Penn State and LSU from a talent perspective. You just wonder how far you're you're looking at Auburn had a better season last year than LSU and Penn State both Penn State went four and five LSU went what five and five I think that's how things shook out yeah Yeah. so Penn State and LSU very similar situations their quarterbacks weren't that great and you're looking at these two teams you know they're talented by the way that they recruit and James Franklin probably a much better head coach than Ed Orgeron not probably he is you look at these two teams and you're saying your your belief in how good they're going to be this year is based purely on development of the talent that you know is on the roster what are you looking at me like that for ed orgeron has a ring what did james franklin have nothing ed orgeron had joe burrow and franklin didn't have joe burrow <laughs> forget about christian hackenberg though no, uh, no, he was no. the top recruit what you know there? that the stars aligned for for ed orgeron yeah. i know you're just messing with me because we've talked about this you and i think that ed orgeron may not be there in two years i think i don't know i i, I could see him staying there i think that there people are just not giving ed orgeron enough credit for assembling a great staff and getting a guy like Joe Burrow. A good Burrow. coordinator. That was all he had. Hey, that's what you got to do. That's part of the head coordinator co- yeah, and part Joe of Burrow, coaching. and they won a title. That's part of getting to – that's part of it. He had to Gene, make those decisions. Gene Jizik won a title with Gus Malzahn and Cam Newton. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's the same situation. <laughs> Nobody hey. else on that team played in the NFL. Hey, it happens. Except that's Fairley. not true. Nick Josh Fairley. Bynes is still playing in the league. Nick Fairley and 
in Josh Bynes, yeah, but not on the offense. Yeah, uh, sure. That's true. I mean, I guess that's fair. Darvin Adams is like a Canadian no. football MVP, though. No, that's that, nah. <laughs> <laughs> he went out. He's, a, le- he's he was, a legend in the Canadian football. He, league. he was cut from the practice squad in he his went, first uh, year. No, so, no. but yeah, I, I is mean, it Mike Dyer on an NFL roster? He was at one point. Because I actually I, I remember but I used to sign him on Madden point. games like I'd always sign him. Corey Grant is always a free agent on there Madden. There has to be an offensive lineman. That's Corey in the Grant league. wasn't on that team. Oh, he wasn't. He went on. No, the he, team was trans- he, he transferred oh, yeah, in yeah. in twenty thirteen. That's true. There yeah. has to be an offensive lineman I get, in the league though. I get I get Corey Grant and Ontario McCaleb. Like I just lumped them as the same player because they did a lot of things similarly. Like they were running a lot of those sweeps. So I just feel like Corey Grant was there from the time Ontario McCaleb stepped on campus. You kind of took the kinda time to the Corey two Grant. guys together. I just melt them together. And They're like, pretty here. similar skill sets. So, well, they ran. They did the same role in the yeah. Auburn offense. And they're so both just, really fast. So, well, I go back to my point: winning Baton Rouge because we've seen time and again losing to LSU, derailing an Auburn football season, or, or just being kind of the monkey on Auburn's back. 2018, I felt like it derailed Auburn season. They lost all confidence. That yeah. team drastically changed from first half against LSU. That 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 season too you know after that after that field goal goes through the uprights that season was over in 2018 they just never recovered from it because you could tell like they had built so much on that game that they wanted to get revenge against LSU and and they couldn't even do it at home and that season fell apart and Auburn ends up only being like a 75 football team they win eight games because of the bowl game but it was a very disappointing year for how much talent and how much you had coming back that season from the team that won the SEC championship or didn't win the SEC championship, won the SEC West and went to the SEC championship a year ago. 2017, going back to that SEC championship season, Auburn loses to LSU midway point of the year, and people were wanting Miles on fired at that point. People were frustrated. People were angry that at that point in that season. That did not look like a squad that could beat Georgia and Alabama. Mm-hmm. Just shocking that that occurred at home. But this game has played Auburn since 1999. Auburn needs this win considering they got Georgia the next week you start 0-2 in conference play where's the belief at where's the buy-in at it looks terrible if Auburn goes 0-2 in conference play you beat LSU though you go on you lose to Georgia you're 1-1 you beat Arkansas on the road you're 2-1 you get a bye week and then you get to have Ole Miss at home and all of a sudden you're 3-1 before you go to College Station you got something you're playing for when you're going to College Station you're still in the race you're still in the mix in the SEC West and I think that's a 50-50 game in College Station. Both teams are equally talented in terms of what they recruit and what they have on the roster. And one of these teams has a quarterback coming at, uh, coming back and maybe a lot further along on the offensive side of the football by that point in the season in terms of building an identity and developing a quarterback or developing an offense around your quarterback. A&M's got a lot of questions on that side of the football. People are talking about A&M like they're just they're 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 going to be better that you know they're once again going to be the second best team in the West and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the case. Don't let this past year fool you about what's been the the story with Jimbo Fisher in College Station. They still haven't been able to win the big one, and they still haven't been able to get over the hump and be more than above average team in the SEC West. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was about to say that I don't know how important it is that we beat LSU because you think about the last two years at Auburn. When they lost the when they lost LSU, the 2013 season when they go to the national championship didn't really matter then. You 2017, they were on the cusp of a national champ or the playoffs, but that was a different schedule. You didn't have Georgia this early, and you didn't have them right after it. And yeah. that's a good. That's like a and you could, like the more you were talking about it, the more I thought about it. I said, 
it's it's a completely different game now. Like yeah. I've said this a time or two as well. You want these guys to buy into what you're doing. You want this fan yes. base to buy into what you're doing. Win in Baton Rouge. Do something you, you haven't done. Can, can, can yeah. you get the same yes. effect if you split those first two games? Maybe if you lose to George, or to lose to LSU, but then beat Georgia at home the next week. But I, mean, I don't know. You, if you do get the same effect, sure. So but I, was, I don't I think say maybe you should. Maybe you yes. need to split those two more than you necessarily. You, you got to go one and one. But I think it's more likely that you can win in Baton Rouge than yeah. it is beat Georgia, even at home. And maybe. I, I think that. I mean, for them to beat Georgia at home, I think that they're going to have to win that LSU game. I don't I don't see a situation where they lose that LSU game and then come back next week and beat Georgia. It just doesn't seem feasible from what I'm expecting yeah. right now. Like I, I they could very well upset Georgia the next con- week. The confidence is different, right? Yes. I, I think it's a much more likely scenario. All right, let's play what is more likely that Auburn beats LSU and Georgia both goes two and zero against those teams. Or that LSU, or that Auburn loses to LSU and then goes on and beats Georgia and splits. Which it's, scenario it's is more, that? It's more likely, I think, that Auburn yes. beats both of them than losing to LSU and then going and beating Georgia the next week. It's all about I confidence. Think I would say it's all about confidence and momentum. Like once you, like after you beat that. Also, LSU, like how bad is Auburn if if Auburn can't beat LSU in Baton Rouge? That's true. Because we know LSU's got some issues on the offensive side of the ball that they're figuring out. Now LSU could show up. Week one and look like Joe Burrow season all over again. Got but a lot of talent. I mean, it's it's LSU it, man. It's, I mean, if they, it's all about name a wide receiver. I, I can't do that. That's not fair. <laughs> well, that's what Levi did to me with Florida State basketball. Name but a, you still don't know one. Exactly. <laughs> <more to> say, <laughs> I know that they're good. Still, still, the like they lose Terrence. Uh, Terrace Marshall, yeah, yeah, and, and Jamar Chase wasn't it wasn't didn't even play for him last year. Their their only good receiver is gone now. They didn't have a running game last year. People are like. Don't worry, they'll, they'll reload at wide receiver, though. That, LSU, that's what LSU yeah. does. Ed Orgeron and LSU are selling folks that these quarterbacks are good, but he, Ed Orgeron himself even said, well, one week this quarterback would be better than all of them, the next week this quarterback would be better than everybody else, and then next week this guy would be. And it's like every week this quarterback had his time in the sun, and then somebody else would take his job. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's inconsistency. You are, you are, just, quarterbacks. You are just outright forgetting about Lance Dahl's favorite favorite player in the country in Kayshawn Boutte <laughs> well he's not playing quarterback but still I stand by my statement see you just said well maybe there's four four good quarterbacks right is that what you just I, I, said I said musical quarterbacks oh, but, oh yeah. you said there, maybe there's four good quarterbacks maybe there are four there, good, there might be good receivers so. but it doesn't no. matter if the if you can't get the ball to the receiver as Levi has said this if you've got four quarterbacks you got no you quarterbacks, got no quarterbacks. Yeah. somebody has to emerge and nobody emerged after the spring which tells me that there's inconsistency and that nobody like there, there is not a leader in that quarterback room and you need to have a leader in your quarterback room if you're going to be a good sec football team right now i I think lsu has no quarterbacks i think yeah. it's more likely that that's the case than they've got four good quarterbacks no way yeah no I can way see that. all right I, i'm not buying that tj finley had one good week in the spring and all of a sudden everybody says this guy could start no way no way and i think the race really is down to miles brennan and max johnson but still they, they've got a quarterback competition that they've got to figure out I, i'm not sold on LSU and I and I think Auburn's got their best opportunity to beat LSU that they've had in, in, in quite some time at least to beat LSU in Baton Rouge that is we'll continue on with more of on the line on the other side of this break we've got one question for each SEC East team finishing that conversation up we talk about Florida and Georgia throughout the rest of the show we'll be back on the other side of this break You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983.com. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting on the line with you today. Just went through our make-or-break factors for Auburn football 2021 nice little discussion there the lsu game is the is, is the game of the hot topic like if you're talking about a game on auburn schedule outside of alabama georgia that is the that is the hot topic game for auburn football this year the make or break game glad we had a good discussion about that but now it's time for one question for each scc east team we ran through vanderbilt tennessee south carolina missouri and kentucky on yesterday's show and saved the best for last on today's show florida and georgia so we're gonna do a segment for each of these teams and we'll go with georgia for this segment then we'll do florida in our next segment so georgia gentlemen one question for the georgia bulldogs football program going into the 2021 season levi i imagine we're probably going to have the same question because we've talked about this ad nauseum well i'll I'll, I'll give you that one because I have another one I could ask. I, I don't I don't know about their offensive line. Was unimpressed by it at the spring game. So really, you were. There's some dudes on that line. Well, they were Cole Kubelik seems to like them. I just Cole Kubelik likes an offensive line. I, I I might I might tend to believe that because he he knows big guys. Yeah, I mean they looked like they looked the part, but I think I was a little underimpressed in what they did in the spring. Now, let's be fair, going up against a pretty good defense. What about Ole Miss firing their uh, <laughs> their O line coach? wasn't working i don't blame him but yeah i i I get it like i they were playing up against a good defense like georgia has talent on the defensive side whether it's your starting defense you know whether it's your first that make you believe by the time they get to mid-season after having practiced against those guys and i i believe that's going to be the case but what if it doesn't like it's it's a question i have for him right now just so just for the sake of having some different different takes on this because i know i know the obvious one i know the one that me and you think of the most and that one that one's my biggest question but i'm a little worried about the line i like their running backs like their quarterbacks receivers stepped up in the absence of george pickens the defense is always going to be good under kirby smart they look good in the spring as well the only question i have tied in this year too oh, man. man they they are big is that Those, washington is that his last name i think so they had some uh like darnell washington i believe is the name they just have some big that just guys sounds like a star player they just oh, have you some, should you should look at the dude he, he, he looks like that that baylor player that was jacked so many years ago who was that again uh, levi you sean sean oakman yeah like i mean that guy was oh. a meme for how big he was he became a meme and i mean darnell washington looks huge he looks like jared cook out there on steroids like he looks it is darnell washington yeah as long as he could you Yeesh. know I just hope he has better hands than Jared Cook. Six but, seven yeah. two sixty five, and that's not like a heavy set two sixty five. That's no, like an athletic. He's, like it looks like it hurts to just like touch the guy. Yeah, I mean they've got like every position feels pretty solid. I think the offensive line's the shakiest one. So does that come to fruition? Do they play better? I mean, I'm sure Rodrigo Blankenship's still there at uh, kicker. He can come back for his he's 19th not. season. He's not. Isn't he a Colt? He's been a Colt for, what, like a year or two now? Yeah. It's just a, yeah, it's a joke. The only NFL player that I would actively attempt to fight. Everybody else, nah. Rodrigo Blankenship, though, I got you. Come think, at me. I think Darno Washington may have ran like a 4.7540, which is pretty fast for a tight end. For a guy that big. Yeah, <laughs> 265. That guy can hustle. He's 6'7", 265, too. Those guys aren't supposed to move that fast. That's scary. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Oof. I mean, you have a quarterback who can get you the football. 
Sting, what is your one question about the Georgia Bulldogs this upcoming year? This may be a weak one, but honestly, my, my question is just, is JT Daniels it? I mean, does, does he have it? Is he the guy? Is, is he for real? Does he got the, the factor? Does, yeah, he, does have he have the, the stuff? Does yeah. he got the stuff, dude? I think yeah. he does. I think he does. Like, when you say the stuff, that reminded me of pitchers in the MLB. That reminded me of what you, you, you say, or, or not just the MLB, just in baseball, period. And I, I, I may have shouldn't have said the MLB. I should have said college trying to make it to the next level. Or can they go through a lineup multiple times? And you ask, does this guy have the stuff? Yeah. And when we talk about that, do they t- have multiple pitches and whatnot? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is he going to be a top quarterback in the SEC? Yeah. That's, that's my question. That's, that's the context that I've talked about. Richard Fitz with Auburn baseball, does he have the stuff outside of one pitch? And I don't think we've really seen that with Fitz. You look at a guy like Joseph Gonzalez for Auburn baseball, two-pitch kind of guy. That's really Fitz and Gonzalez right now are two-pitch players. You need that extra You need that extra notch. Does JT Daniels have that extra notch as a quarterback? I think that's fair to ask. I think he does. This may be the most talented arm that we've seen in the Georgia program since Aaron Murray. Aaron yeah. Murray knew how to spin it. He had good yeah. arm talent in college. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, this Justin Fields guy's pretty good. He didn't play. I mean, guys that started. I was just talking You're about right. Justin room. Fields he had a great arm. A, he did take a he snap did, for Georgia. He, he just didn't get to play. Yeah, he took that uh, fake. He punt. didn't take a that snap. That fake punt was pretty good. Pass. It That's wasn't not a what I meant. You guys know I meant starters. Okay. <laughs> Jacob Beeson is pretty good too. Should have said that, but starters. I, I forgot Jacob Beeson even played for Georgia. <laughs> I think JT Daniels' arm is in a different category than Jacob Beeson. You think so? Yes, and Jake Fromm's. I mean, definitely Jake Fromm's. Yeah. I mean, and Jake Fromm won the job Jake over Fromm was Jacob Eason. The, Jake Fromm was the worst quarterback in that room, and he somehow got the starting job. Don't know how Eason that happened. Eason did get hurt, though, right? Isn't that was that how he happened? got Yeah, yeah. Like, Eason got hurt in what, like the first or the second game. I don't know. Jacob Eason has a cannon for an arm. That's Does he know where it's going half the time? No, <laughs> but dude's got a cannon. You can tell that much. But no, JT, Where's he at in the NFL at the moment? You forgot where he got drafted to. As the Colts, right? Didn't the Colts pick him up? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they at least drafted him. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like that's where he ended up going. Jacob Eason yep. is a Colt. Colt. Yep. Watch out, Carson Wentz. He's coming. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, if you're I talking think about the, Daniels is in a category the, all on his own. The best quarterback that they have had in a in a long time, because I think JT Daniels has more. Has more quarterback talent than Aaron Murray did. Like I think he's a better quarterback. If you're looking I just at said it from since Aaron Murray, because I mean, Aaron Murray yes. was an outstanding quarterback at Georgia. He was, but I think he possess. I think JT Daniel possesses more talent than Aaron Murray has. Will he have the same career, the same stats? You know, like at least on an average base. Who knows? But do I think the kid is more talented than Aaron Murray was when he was at Georgia? Yes, I think he's got better arm strength. I think he's got better accuracy. I think this guy is just one of the best quarterbacks we've seen come into Georgia and actually get a chance to start. Also, you look at the last four or five years at USC at quarterback, Keaton Slovis comes to mind. He started for USC this year, outstanding quarterback. Think about Sam Darnold. And JT Daniels is also a part of that mix. And JT Daniels had the worst stats at USC of that group. And before, I mean, before he got hurt, he was looking pretty good. Like he was starting yeah. to come into his own. JT Daniels was, and he gets hurt. And I trust a USC quarterback now. They know how to throw the football. No matter how bad USC has been, I trust a USC quarterback. And no matter how bad they are in the league, they they at least know how to play in college. Yeah, Georgia's Georgia's getting themselves a, a, a good arm talent. There's some good California quarterbacks out there, and this dude this dude ranks up there with them. We'll talk about Florida on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Stay 
on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting with you on today's show. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Watch us on Facebook as well and comment. We'll try and talk about whatever you comment on the Fox Sports Central Alabama, Radio Alabama Sports, and ESPN 106.7 Facebook pages. That's how you can watch the show. We're doing our one question for each SEC East team. Just saw something interesting here on Twitter, though, while I was rolling around. Of course, you guys brought this up to me about it. We were just talking about Georgia, so this is kind of a nice little segue here. But you guys brought it up to me right before the show, talking about college football playoff expansion. And Paul Feinbaum show has a tweet up. Kirby Smart offering his current thoughts on potential at CFB playoff expansion. Quote, you're on the outside looking in a couple times because of one game. You certainly would like to see that opportunity grow, end quote. That's false. You are not on the outside looking in because of one game. You're on the outside looking in because of two games. Now, for Georgia, it might be one team that maybe keeps them on the outside looking in. That team is Alabama. But one game does not keep you on the outside looking in. I mean, it can. On average, no. It can. I think it can. On average, it's not a one-loss team that's getting... I mean, yes, there are one-loss teams right there on the fringe, but I still don't... I Look, four and five maybe is what we're arguing about right now, but like I think they get, they're getting the right four teams in every single year. Win the one game. Win the game that mattered. Yeah. The fact that you lost that game, you deserve to be on the outside. Right. Let's no, I make, agree. Let's don't make the standards easier because you couldn't reach the standard right how about we hold people to the standard at hand i don't disagree yeah win win the game it's like what i was telling you guys yesterday levi wants to see it because more football fine (laughs) i at least respect your stance but you at least concede though that it does not determine the best and it doesn't necessarily give you more good football. It just gives you more football. Oh, the right? way I see it is if – because if they're going to expand, they're going to cut the regular season down. If you're cutting the regular season down, you're just cutting some of those out-of-conference blowout games and you're replacing them with big – you're replacing them with a, a team that's probably still going to – a game that's probably still not going to be the best game, but you're still more excited to watch. I don't know. That's fair. Like that is an a Al- true point. In Alabama versus Oregon, where even when you're thinking Alabama probably beats them by 20, you'd rather see that than Alabama – you know, just beat up on Western Kentucky. You're right. Yeah, Western like Kentucky needs the revenue from that game, though, which I know you can see that point. This just isn't an easy answer, but is it worth it? Is it worth expanding the playoff to knock off some of those regular season games? Is it worth it just to get a couple more games and it's really not going to change anything? It's not because in football, right. especially in college football, you're not going to get any upsets that are going to change the scope. Maybe four and five. Maybe who the four and the five seeds are. Maybe maybe the five seed beats that four seed and moves on. But, but that's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Right. You also, the one and two seed are still going to at least make the championship game, I would think. You also, like, I mean, you might you might get some crazy upset because, like, you think of... What's, the, a, what's a crazy upset? Well, like, you think of 2014 where people were thinking that Ohio State shouldn't even have been in the playoffs and they go out and they handle Alabama. Alabama. But that's and, a 4-1, though. Those are, those, are, those are two teams that are in the top four. That's not an eight. But you never, one. you never know because we evaluate conferences 
poorly. Like we thought all basketball season that the Big Ten was just the premier basketball conference. They get in there, they start laying eggs. And you can do that in football as well. Like you look at a team and think, oh, they're playing in the Pac-12. They're not that good. And then they might come out and shock you. You saw Oregon do that a few years ago when they were playing Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. Nobody really thought that Oregon was going to come out and win that game. And like you see teams like this a lot where just because they're in a bad conference, they think that they're not a good – and I'm not saying a bad conference, but like they're devaluing what they do in comparison to something else. I don't think it like – it's not going to change anything. I mean, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are going to win it more times than not. But at least it gives the illusion of hope to the fans that don't want to see that. Like it's it, that's what it is. Like it's get, it gets there's illusion of hope. Sure, it gives it gets stale when you're like, all right, well, there's three out of the four. Who's it going to be? Notre Dame to get who's going to get blown out? Notre Dame or Oklahoma? That's kind of what it's come down to within the past few years. People are getting tired and getting stale of it. They don't like that a committee decides it, where they're just sitting there going, I don't care how many games these three teams lose, they're in it regardless. I'm putting them in there. They and they feel that way, and they feel mm-hmm. like if you're Wait, name an example of that though. Because Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson clean up every year, and they deserve to be in. 2014, people thought TCU was supposed to get in there. Uh, 2017. I, don't th- I think the 2014 example can't be used because Ohio State won the national championship. No, they proved I, that they deserve to be there. But any of the other years, like but, I don't think but that, is it that not based argument off, holds true. But is it not based off of resume? And I, you could sit there and say that TCU had a much better resume, and they didn't get in because their name's TCU not Texas. It's been harder for some of these teams that aren't the big name guys. And I say Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, but like if you're not Notre Dame or Oklahoma or Georgia or Michigan, like some of these bigger names even within your own conference, you're you're already playing at a harder difficulty because if it comes down to it and you have a similar resume as Michigan, if it's, you know, I don't know, TCU for example, a Baylor for example. But that's only happened and, like one time. And Arkansas for example, you're not getting in. But that's only they, happened like one time, though. 2017, they put Alabama in. Alabama ends up winning the national championship. And who but was who was Alabama competing against for that last spot? I don't remember. It was Ohio State. But the, and that's they what and they made the right choice because that Ohio oh, State team blown out by what no, was it Purdue that year? A hundred percent. They ended up making the, they ended up making the right choice. But when you look at it, and people are sitting there thinking Alabama didn't even have to go play in an SEC championship game, and they can still make it. And then you have teams that are like, dude, I could go and win my conference, and I might not even get considered to be in this spot so i go back to 2017 who won the national championship no that's what i'm saying it ends so up like making, they've gotten it right i mean you can say they got it right but it, did they get it right based off of the merits that they're saying if i say hey like i'm going to judge the best food based off of this criteria and then i put something else in based off of a different criteria it ends up being the best but i'm a liar because i said i'm going to do something and then i do something different you move the goalposts yeah like i change like it's one of those things where it's like the means versus the ends. Like that's what, I see that's, your point. That's what people get frustrated with. It's not that it's not being decided correctly. But for your correctly. specific argument, I know what you're getting to. You you want some of the smaller schools. You're bringing up your TCUs and your Baylors a lot. And the specific arguments that you're bringing up, Ohio State's been the team in question. The big teams have been the team in question, not the little teams. I, w- I just want a chance. Like The little teams have no shot. I want a chance for ev- like for most of the top, the more t- the teams that are towards like that top eight, top 12, whatever you want to expand it to. I want that to I want them to actually feel like they have a legitimate chance. And right now, they don't. And fans The committee's not committed to that though because they had two loss Iowa State in front of Cincinnati in the rankings for a large portion of this season. So the committee's not it's not about how many teams are in at the moment. 
It's more about how the committee views these teams. And I, and I think the committee's viewing these teams correctly because Cincinnati had no business getting close to the playoff. I don't know. They almost beat Georgia. Who also was not in the playoff and didn't even win the East. So I, I, And they almost beat Georgia. They didn't. So I, I still don't think that they have – look, more football does equal more fun, but I do think you watered down the product of college football – if we add more teams in more does not mean better i think it's already kind of watered down like people have already lost interest like there are people out there who who aren't as into it as they used to be because they sit there and they see the same things like you think about yes the ratings are going to be fine because you have premier teams playing against each other and they are good games but like if you're thinking about it from a fan perspective of just individual fan bases there are a lot of people who have tuned out like i i know for a fact i've lost a little bit of interest who though what do you name mean? somebody Na- name it give me an example of that though and i'll tell you if that if that fan base matters to the committee or not auburn there are auburn people who don't really care Auburn's, to watch as much auburn is a tiny fan base i'm yeah. not trying to make people angry but look auburn is a auburn is middle of the pack fan base like you're in the sec oh, there are many fan bases much larger than auburn's no 100 percent. that's what that's my so argument the committee doesn't care about auburn yeah my argument is for there are people who are just tired like if you look outside of what the top four top five programs are right now which that's why i said the ratings are still always going to be fine because casual people who don't care who aren't allegiant to a fan base they're fine they're going to watch those games because it's a national championship game but there are people who just genuinely don't care like they used to they don't want to watch it everybody I, I hear the argument of the regular season has to matter it doesn't matter if the regular season matters if the same teams are going to get in it every year like people are wanting some sort of parody and at least that illusion that something different might happen is something different going to happen no. Going back to using Auburn as an example here, though, Auburn's losing five games every year. Auburn's not even close to being in that mix. And I know you're just throwing Auburn out as an example, but yeah. like I go back to why are we changing the standard to let more subpar teams that already couldn't meet the standard, why are we trying to let them in? To, to, and your argument is to try and create more interest across the yeah. country. I'm, I, My like, argument is, though, that the committee – and college football as a whole does not need those small fan bases or those smaller fan bases to generate that interest. I actually think maybe a little bit of exclusivity, maybe that's not the right word to use here, especially in the current climate, but in terms of what I mean by exclusivity, just like a smaller, it means more that you are a part of this select group that you made the playoff. And if you go and you win 11, 12 games, if you're 11 and 1, 12 and 1, you're in the mix at the end to be considered. You are. I, that has not changed these teams are not now unless you're a group of five team and i'll give you that but i none of the group of five teams have shown me that they deserve a piece at the playoff if you go undefeated i think you deserve a, at least an opportunity there and like whether that means they're going to win like you i i know where you're coming from because you're coming from you want to gatekeep and have like i want the best of the best i want to make sure the national championship is i want to keep perfectly. its integrity i also don't want to you know lose games in the regular season either see i don't care about that that's the argument i'm making i'm not i don't care that if oh if ucf shots, hurt, hurt the group of five teams though like if if ucf goes in there and they mess around and they end up upsetting and winning it and everybody's like well i don't really think they were the best team i don't care if whatever's more fun more entertaining to watch like if i'm getting a little bit of parody that's fine like you can only watch the same product over and over again when you realize it's it's kind of it gets kind of stale like it doesn't matter how many great ohio state clemson games you put out it gets stale after a while or alabama clemson or alabama ohio state because they've produced great games and they have been some of the best teams but after so many times of seeing it 
You saw it. It's, you get fatigued. You saw it with the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs. You saw it with the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. You get fatigued of seeing that all the time when it's almost like a, it's like a race to that, to that game. It's a race to the Alabama-Clemson, Clemson-Ohio State, Ohio State-Alabama, whichever one of those you want to mix up. It's a race to that game when the whole regular season you're just watching going, well, it really doesn't matter what happens here because I'll argue that the regular season doesn't matter because you're just sitting there going, when are we getting to this game? Because it doesn't matter if Alabama drops one game to A&M or one game to Auburn. At the end of it, they're probably going to be in it. Or, you know, it doesn't matter how many games I watch of them blowing out whoever at the end of it. They're going to be there because they're the best team, and you're just racing to that game. The regular season's boring. There's not much parity going on at the top of it, and you're just kind of waiting for the end. I don't understand the argument that a lot of people make about parity in collegiate athletics because I think there actually is there's parity outside the top. You're right. There is the same top three teams every year, it seems, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. But just looking at the national championship games, first college football playoff national championship, Ohio State, Oregon. Yes, that features one of those teams that we just talked about but the other one is not it's an outlier okay Alabama Clemson features two of them all right so that's one game where it's featured two of them two games now because there were back-to-back years where you had Alabama Clemson then there was Alabama Georgia that's a game that features someone from the outside that made it all the way to the title you have Clemson Alabama again there's three right there and then you've got LSU Clemson features one of them not another one of them no but hold on I'm saying there you look at it only three okay four of these have featured half of the playoffs so far have featured two of the of the top three teams in the country which is a large portion but the other half has featured teams that have made it i i don't understand the argument that it's not possible for someone outside of that group of three to make the national championship because it's happened and oregon's many, made it you got georgia making it and you got lsu making it and how many of those actually won just lsu point. just lsu but it's possible but you also don't like get a team that's good enough to do it so you're look the problem then okay this is a whole different problem then it's not about the, those teams will still make it to the national title game just because you added another playoff game let me assure you they're still going to make it yeah just yeah. then playing another game that's not going to change we can all we can all make that point right your problem then is not with the playoff you're 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 that's like taking tylenol for repeated he- headaches all the time okay sure it'll knock out the headache for a couple hours but why do you keep having migraines you need to go to the doctor okay and you need to actually look at the real issue under the under the, under the skin and in collegiate athletics i don't know what that is i don't know why those three i mean we know why those three teams get the best players every year because they're they're they three recruit, of the most prestigious locations and they recruit that way all right and they have they get some of the, the best coaching and they have some of the best coaching in the country best institutions and all of that sure but adding another playoff game doesn't fix that it's my point and so you might as well just keep it at four and let's enjoy college football as we have it and not hurt the group of five teams by knocking off some regular season games because i'll tell you right now nobody's going to want to schedule appalachian state nobody's going to want to schedule ucf nobody's going to want to schedule cincinnati as their lone one or two non-conference games they don't want to do it anyway they're not doing that anyway they don't want to schedule those teams anyway so you might as well just knock that off and just have them you have a position where you're looking at where where do these teams often finish they finish between 12 and 5. That, that's typically where like those Power 5 schools, they're in in this situation. They at least have a chance to see it. You at least have that chance. You never get that chance beforehand. Is it going to work? I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that I think it adds a little bit more diversity to what college football is, and it doesn't just seem like a long, boring draw to the end of you're just waiting for what you expect to happen. It's a front, though. It's a facade. It's not actually really adding diversity. It's 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 yeah. fake. It's, like all, I said, it's optics. It's, like I said, it's an illusion. It's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying that it fixes everything. I'm just saying it gives that illusion. 
and that 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 bothers me though i can't, I can't get with the i can't get with the fake i, I know it's fake i know like i i would watch it and i would scoff at seeing Alabama play Cincinnati in the first round, I would, I would, I would look at that and I would scoff. I think that's fun. I think it's fun to see Alabama play Cincinnati. I'd like it. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Wrap it up today's edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and intern Sting on the show with you guys on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Excellent discussion in that previous segment about college football playoff expansion. You guys mentioned that they were that a twelve team playoff is getting some traction. That's worse for me than just eight that we've been talking about. But Levi's like, yeah, let's put three lost teams in. Let's do it. Let's see what they can do. Here for it. <laughs> Adopt the NCAA basketball model. I'm here for it. Mike Leach over here asking a 64 for sixty four team yeah. tournament. Hey, I'm down with that. I mean, do, why do I don't understand let's why just, we why do we need a regular season battle just, royale from the start. That's what I'm here for. We talked for. about that last week. Yeah. I'm down. I'm down. You lose, you're out. Best team wins. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey, everybody. It's Noah Gardner with What's On tonight. The major networks will have coverage of President Joe Biden's address to Congress beginning at 8. Prior to that, you can catch The Price is Right at night at 7 on CBS. On ABC, new episodes of a pair of sitcoms. The Goldbergs is on at 7 and Home Economics at 7.30. A new episode of Guy's Grocery Games can be seen at 8 on Food Network. Some movie selections for tonight. The Bourne Identity is on AMC at 7. A retired CIA black ops operative turned vigilante. The Equalizer 2 is on FX at 7. The sequel to Intergalactic Robots Battling on Earth, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, is on Sci-Fi at 7. In live sports, one game is nationally televised in the MLB. The Atlanta Braves host the Chicago Cubs at 620 on FS1 with Oscar Enoa getting the start for the Braves against the Cubs' Kyle Hendricks. Two NBA games are on ESPN beginning at 630 with the Los Angeles Lakers at the Philadelphia 76ers. Chris Paul has the Suns playing their best basketball in over a decade. They host the Clippers at 9. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up today's edition of On the Line, we got a couple of minutes left, and we're going to wrap up our segment that we've been running for two days now. One question for each SEC East team. We're all the way down now to Florida. I'm going to go first, considering I didn't give, get to give my question for Georgia. My one question here for Florida, will Emory Jones be able to deliver in the most important games for Florida? I think he's a good enough quarterback to win Florida nine games. And the East is a bad division. But you look at Florida's schedule, they have to play Alabama this year. You got two SEC losses right now out the gates for me when I'm looking at Florida's schedule. You're you're looking at Georgia and Alabama's L's and you're sitting at 10-2 there. We talked about Missouri in the light of being able to possibly be able to overtake Florida this year if they're able to upset them because I think they've got a really favorable schedule. It could be 8-0 going into the Georgia game if they're able to beat A&M. I think that they're better than Kentucky and Boston College on their schedule at that point. But I think it's much more likely that Florida finishes in third place in the SEC East than they actually beat Georgia out in the SEC East. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more likely that that they finish lower than expected than higher than expected. I'm not super high up in this Florida team. And and that centers around Emory Jones as a quarterback. He's not – he hasn't shown us anything as a passer. Good runner and Dan Mullen's going to be able to get the most out of that, and he always gets the most out of his quarterbacks. Dan Mullen's one of the best guys with quarterbacks in the SEC, but I don't know if that's enough for when the big moments come up that he's able to make that throw. And um, I just, I, 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 that, that, that's the big part for me where, I, where I'm being held back on Amber Jones. Because you got to make, the, and it, the, the thing that separates teams like Florida and, and Georgia and whatnot, the thing that separates 
them from being able to overtake Alabama and some of the other teams is can their quarterbacks make the plays when, when they need them to in the big moments. That's true, and you haven't seen that from Emory Jones yet. Like he has all the talent see it from Jake Fromm at Georgia. You didn't, yeah, I mean he has. I mean Emory Jones has all the talent in the world, and I think he's going to be a fine quarterback this year. But obviously, we're asking questions going into the season. That is a question that you have going into the season. You don't know what you're getting out of him, and it's fair to ask that. I mean, and I I don't think it's a straight two loss coming out of the gate in SEC play. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think they beat Alabama, but I know Georgia's more talented, but it's Georgia. Show me. They haven't shown me that they can win those games like that consistently. Eh. You never know. Other than last year, though, Georgia's consistently been able to beat Florida. So but, I think, I think you it goes back to that. But you don't know. You, Georgia Georgia will lose a game. Play the games. They'll lose a game like that every now and then. That's why we play the games. That's it for another edition of On the Line, the Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack coming up after this break at 4 p.m. That does it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.